This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. All right, guys, thank you for joining us on Bear Archery's Hunting 101. Joining me is Mr. Andrew McKean, who is a, what I would consider to be a hunting guru just a hunting all around a guy who is absolutely enthralled with all aspects of hunting and that's what i enjoy about him so andrew man how are you i am great dylan how are you doing i am absolutely wonderful i'm I'm facing allergies right now which with with everything going on is awesome because people avoid you like the the plague (laughs) um so it's absolutely incredible um this is the one time I've enjoyed allergies because everybody just freaks out. Uh, but no, man, everything is great. I leave next week on my first hunt of the year. Um, so I am excited to start kicking off season and start hunting. Uh, what's your first hunt of the year? Uh, well, it actually starts Tuesday. So we are talking in late August. Uh, we actually have had our very first morning of sub 50 degrees. And that, that to me is the real tipping point which means fall, thankfully, is finally on the way. We've had a pretty brutal August in the West. Um, I live in eastern Montana, and it's just, I mean, it is powder dry. So we had a big cold front come through yesterday. We got a little rain. We got a little hail. We got a little straight-line wind, you know, the prairie uh, triumvirate there. But what it means to me is uh, fall is on the way. So our dove and grouse season starts next week, and that's where I will be. I cannot wait. The week after that is archery season. Um we're going to talk today a little bit about elk hunting. I am red-faced because for the first time in like almost two decades, I do not have an archery elk tag in Montana. Oh, man. That's a rough place to be in. It uh, it, it hurts a little bit, but I do have archery deer and antelope. But um, elk, are, and especially archery elk, is my true love. But uh, I did not draw the unit I usually do. And so uh, I have the i guess you would say consolation prize of i can't stop thinking about it i can't stop talking about it uh and that's gonna have to do for this year so let's get into it then i guess we got a good topic to talk elk hunting uh but before we dive in give us a quick introduction to yourself i know you work with powder hook 
Uh, you're the hunting editor at Outdoor Life. Um, you've got the greatest mustache in hunting. Um, so, so give us a quick introduction to yourself. Yeah, well, thanks. I'm a Missouri farm boy who had the good luck to follow his dream going west. Uh, working for Outdoor Life is really the only job I ever wanted, and I got it. So in so many ways, I'm the luckiest man I know. Um, I've been a lifelong hunter and and writer and communicator. So the work I do with Powder Hook is really, in some ways, kind of my, you know, that philosophy stage of becoming a hunter. It's the give back stage. Um, Powder Hook, as many of your listeners know, is is really devoted to being the recruitment tool for a whole new generation of hunters. And that's, of anything I do, I would say that's probably the most important part is pulling people along and showing them this great big world of hunting and wildlife conservation and just uh, outdoor appreciation. So there's that. But yeah, I'm the hunting editor for uh, Outdoor Life. I live uh, in rural eastern Montana. Uh, I wrote a book called How to Hunt Everything. And it's, it's every day I wake up and I think, I live in the huntiest place I've ever lived. We've got, as I mentioned, dove and grouse coming up. We've got awesome deer, both whitetail and mule deer. We've got antelope. We have elk. We have bighorn sheep in my county. And uh, waterfowl will be the kind of the leading edge of winter. So there's no shortage of things that are about to happen. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I love hunting in Kansas. I love living in Kansas because great whitetail hunting. But, you know, beyond that, you know, I wish I lived in a place um, – you know, with more of a big game spread. And if you go out West Kansas, you can get in a mule deer and antelope, but, uh, you know, that's even still, that's like traveling. I mean, that's five, six hour travel for me. So, um, still quite a, quite a bit of traveling for that, but, you know, I get jealous of people who live in a state and they can hunt, you know, five different big game species in that state. Um, so you're definitely a man that is living the dream. I would say, um, before we dive in, I got to give a thank you to our awesome friends over at Minus 33 Merino Wool. Andrew, what are your thoughts on Merino? Oh, I'm a, I am a Merino evangelist. Um, you know, for I think all of the reasons that you guys are familiar with, uh, it's naturally wicking. It is scent containing and scent. Uh, I wouldn't, I'm not going to say scent free. Nothing is scent free, but it does a really good job of not accumulating scent. But, you know, for me, it's it, I do a lot of running throughout the wintertime. Um, that's almost always my base layer, largely because of its heat ability, but it also has a cooling ability. So, I mean, yeah, we this is unsolicited entirely, but you just hit on one of my favorite products for uh, outdoor gear is various weights of Merino. And the nice thing I see about it is in the old days, uh, when it was first coming on, it itched like crazy. You think you've got allergies? Just put on an old merino wool shirt. Um, <laughs> I'm very happy to see that the uh, the, the on skin comfort level is has never been better. Yeah, and that's it, to me. It's just such a crazy, it's such a crazy thing to be able to wear something. I, I'm actually kind of in a in a test run right now uh, with some gear where I'm wearing nothing but merino uh for 30 days um and so the gym on a bike ride you know i got merino wool dress socks for church i mean anything i do merino excels in so if i'm sweaty it pulls the it pulls the moisture out and keeps me cool and then if i put a heavier layer on and go out and hunt it keeps me warm so it's just it's such a versatile product and it's just it's insane how how versatile it is and so um minus 33 i believe does it 
better than anybody. Um, and so with you being such a, uh, a Merino freak, I'm going to have to get you some minus 33 in the mail, um, and let you test it out and give me your feedback and your thoughts on it. Um, because they just make some of the greatest products all made right here in the U.S. Um, and it's just phenomenal gear. So go check out Minus 33 Merino. Um, now let's dive in and talk necessary gear for elk hunting. And this is how I want to I structure the conversation. Let's start from the feet up. Hmm. Necessary gear for elk hunting. And then we'll break into your pack um, afterwards. So um, when you talk necessary gear for elk hunting, what are you looking for in socks and boots? I'm actually really happy we're starting there because, you know, unlike so many other kinds of hunting, thinking about a lot of traditional, what's become traditional whitetail stuff where you, you're not covering that much ground. Um, you know, you're standing in a stand or you're in a, a, a ground blind or something like that. Your footwear is not nearly as important as it is for elk hunting. Elk hunting, like elk themselves, is a landscape scale um, experience, which means you're covering a lot of ground, a lot of different terrain types. So, I actually wear mountaineering type boots. Um, we're talking uh, fairly heavy, but very stiff soled boots. Um, you know, anything from your Kinetrex to your, I'm a big Loa fan. I just like the way they fit my feet and I don't have the five years of breaking them in before I can wear them effectively. Uh, you know, I really am a big fan of the pronghorn from Danner, which is a little bit of a, a lighter, uh, more flexible boot, but you know, anything to me, because I'm doing so much side healing that has a higher upper, like a nine inch upper with a good lacing pattern where I can really keep those things laced, uh, to my feet and ankles is, a, is, is what I'm going to go for. Uh, socks, you, you're talking about wool here just a second ago. I'm a huge wool sock fan for the reasons that you just expressed. Um, they wick your, uh, foot moisture away. Um, they are naturally, uh, non-abrasive so i'm not getting a lot of blisters so one thing to think about though and this is i'd like to dive into this when we start talking about other pieces of elk gear you know we have archery elk seasons that are starting here in, in a couple of weeks and even amount of days so super hot afternoons fairly cool mornings you've got a wide temperature variety but uh you really need to think about two different types of boots uninsulated boots for early season archery elk hunting when we're talking more rifle hunting, we're getting into uh, October time seasons, a lot of time in the high country where it's going to be colder. You're going to have more snowfall. So a good pair of waterproof insulated boots is useful for that later season rifle hunt. So there's my take on boots. Yeah, I uh, much like you just said, I love a and I'm not I'm not I'm not, I probably don't run as stiff as you do. Um, I, I being here in Kansas, you know, I I, I don't have five pairs of boots so you know i want a pair of boots that i can still um use for pretty much everything so i use a a a pretty stiff boot but but probably not as stiff as you use and then i move into like you said with that late season um i move into like a pack boot um i love schnee's pack boots um and the reason i love those you know they have the interchangeable soles so um if you get back to camp and your feet got a little wet uh you can take those soles out put a new pair of soles in and uh they stay inside, they stay warm and the other ones can be drying out, you know, for, for the next day. And so you can just interchange those soles back and forth when you're in elk camp and, uh, your feet stay dry, uh, because you don't have to, you know, try to dry out a pair of boots. You know, I don't know if you've, I don't know if you've been there, man, but trying to dry out a pair of insulated boots at camp is difficult. Um, 
So those interchangeable soles just make it so easy. Now, what do you do? Do you run a liner sock, or do you just do you just wear a pair of of merinos? Uh, early season, I wear just a midweight merino. Um, later on in the year, I will run a liner sock with heavier merinos. But you also have to think about the sizing of your boot too. Um, you, you know, certainly some of those uh, really stiff. Uh, mountaineering type boots don't have a ton of flexibility in terms of the actual foot box. And so um, you're going to be limited to what you, what you do wear in terms of socks. So either two lightweight that uh, add up to basically the thickness of one heavyweight sock or whatever kind of variation you want to play with that, with that in there. But if you do anticipate wearing a lot of late season sock uh, layering issues, think about sizing up your boot just a half a size. Now, and, and with this definitely does not just apply to boots when we have this conversation. This applies to every piece of gear we'll talk about. Uh, but test it out before you get to the mountain. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're from the south, from the Midwest, and you're traveling out for your first mountain hunt, test all of your gear before you go. Put on different pairs of socks. You know, walk up and down your stairs with a pack on. Um, do whatever you can to try that out and see how it works before you get to the mountain. Uh, because the worst thing you want to do is figure out these boots are giving me blisters. These boots are giving me hot spots while you're on the mountain. So test every piece of gear we're going to talk about from your bows to your packs to your tents. Test it all before you go to the mountain. Uh, don't wait till you get there to experience that. Um, now let's cover kind of entire body clothing in one. Uh, what kind of what, what kind of clothing system do you run for elk hunting? What's, well, first off, let me ask you this. What's necessary clothing uh, for elk hunting and then what's kind of just more of like a, uh, luxury, uh, type layering system that you like to use, if that makes sense. It all does, man. You know, there's so much of personal preference that plays into this. So I'll kind of give you, you know, my, my basics, but like you were just saying, Dylan, like test everything out because there's going to be things that, um, you know, you're, you're going to gravitate toward based towards based on, your hunting style or your body type, you know, and again, we really have to talk about this in two really different seasons. So I, I'm a, I'm definitely a run and gun kind of archery elk hunter. And I should explain that just a little bit. Um, I hunt the Missouri river breaks a lot. That's my homeland when it comes to archery elk. It's big, big country. It's wide open. It's not your black timber kind of sneak and stop, um, mountain hunting. This is get on a high point, glass a lot, find elk, and sometimes they can be three or four miles away, and you've got to figure out a strategy to get in on them. So, and that's not you know that's that's straight line, but there's never a straight line to uh, uh, to encounter an elk. It's all down canyons and up big side hills, and so for that reason, I am a very mobile hunter uh, when it comes to archery elk. I am a layer guy, so a lot of times I will strip down to just one thin shirt for an approach um, because I want to be able to dissipate heat um, and not bulk up with sweat. And then I will put on one or two layers for kind of a final approach or if I have to make kind of a stand and call situation. So that's not just upper level. I also really slim down my, my pant choices. You know, I want vents uh, so that my thighs can breathe so that I'm not accumulating a lot of moisture. 
So that said, I'm, you know, you, your listeners may be saying, and you may be saying, well, whoa, you must be one stinking man by the time you get, you know, to an elk encounter. A lot of what I'm trying to do is dissipate that heat and that, that stink. But I, I'm aware that every human has a smell, no matter how much masking or scent containment we're trying to do. It's not enough when it comes to these, uh, animals. So I really play the wind a lot. I'm not worried about being scent free, but I am worried about how that breeze or wind is going to influence, uh, how my scent is dispersed to animals. So I know it's a really long winded and probably kind of too generic a way, but whatever you can wear, um, that you're comfortable and you're not sweating too much, but you have to have a pack system that has at least the ability to carry a couple of layers that you can quickly deploy uh, when conditions change. Now, later on uh, in the year when we're talking rifle season, um, with all of that variation of temperature and even snow, again, I'm going with layering, but I'm really starting off with a much sort of uh, heavier, more weather-resistant thermal layer as my base. So really when it comes to clothing, uh, I think kind of a, a, a wrap up is that, you know, late season and early season, there's so much, uh, differences in how we're going to dress. But I think me and Andrew would both just encourage you to figure out a layering system that works for you, figure out, um, what you like next close to your body. Uh, obviously for both of us, that's Merino. Uh, what, what you like next close to your body uh, and then a layer you can put on over that, a layer you can take off as you get hot during the day or, or you know, get to a glassing point, you get a little cold, something else you can put on. Uh, I would just encourage you to figure out a layering system that's going to work for you in early and late season. Uh, but Andrew, that being said, are there a couple key pieces that, that no matter what it is, uh, you would you would have late and early season? Yeah. So I love that differentiation. You know, it's just the sort of thing you're going to have to figure out for yourself through trial and error, but I'll start with late season. Cause that's the easiest. I almost always have a super compressible puffy jacket. Um, there's lots of different brands that have that particular product, but, uh, they're down. So you have to be a little bit worried about getting them wet or keeping them dry is a better way to put it. But they compress in your pack almost nothing and they weigh, you know, less than half a pound typically. So that's a great base layer. Um, it can, it can serve as a great thermal outer layer, but it can also work as a really good layer over a vest and under a rain jacket or shell to really keep you, um, keep you warm. Uh, if you, if you do have to be exposed in cold weather and a windy point for glassing or something like that. And then I would say a great, uh, earlier season piece is uh, a synthetic vest something that's going to keep your core nice and and uh, warm but it's not going to encumber your limbs i think that's a really important thing for a bow hunter um so any of a variety of just really good tight fitting vests is a great early season piece yeah i would 100 percent agree with both pieces you just said um and as far as puffy jackets go um, you can get those, man, I got one, um, like at an Eddie Bauer, you know, outlet store, like a $200 jacket for like 35 bucks. Um, now it's not Sitka, it's not QU, it's not, but, but it's a really good jacket. Um, and it's something that would work for anybody. So like Andrew said, there's, there's hundreds of, of puffy jackets that'll work. There's hundreds of vests that'll work. Um, you by no means have to have any certain brand or any certain, uh, even real material. Um, just again, test them out, see what works for you. Uh, see what you like about things, what you don't like about things. 
before you get to the mountain and make sure those pieces are going to work for you. Um, now let's get into the, the difficult part. Yes. What's in your pack? <laughs> oh man. I thought you were going to go a whole different direction. Um, I want to ask the easy part for you. Let's make sure we save room to talk about bow sights because Absolutely. I think that's something um, a lot of people are confused about. So let's talk about pack first, but then come back to that. So, Oh, what's in my pack? You, I mean, you might as well ask, you know, um, what's my favorite birthday dinner? <laughs> uh, I've got so many things in mind. Uh, I'm going to give you four or five absolute ingredients and then you can kind of, we can riff on those, but, um, I hunt by myself a lot. And certainly when it comes to bow hunting, it's a, for me, a real solo, uh, experience. Elk are big. And if I get one down, um, a lot of times it's uh, warm weather. I've got to make very quick work of getting that thing out of the field. So um, I have game bags and usually more than you would expect, uh, four or five good game bags. And when I say good, I'm talking, I want them to be able to hold a quarter of an elk, either on the bone or off the bone. And I want to be able to have the bag strong enough that I can hang it from a tree. Uh, it does a couple of things. One, it gives me more time to get the rest of the meat out, but I can get it off the carcass and hanging, uh, so that the cool of the night is going to make that, that make sure that meat doesn't go bad. So game bags, absolute mandatory for early season elk, obviously good knives. So I usually have a couple of very good knives and a sharpener in there. This one may surprise you a little bit. I have big tent stakes and I'm talking like the ones that are, uh, angle irons. Um, here's why. A lot of times when you're by yourself, you need another set of hands. Having the ability to drive a tent stake into the ground and then snub off an elk's leg with a, a length of rope or cordage onto that uh, tent stake gives me that extra set of hands I need. So that is mandatory in there as well. And it's also really good for um, setting up a shelter in open country. You can use it for almost anything. So two good tent stakes and rope. Um, I always have a headlamp, usually a couple, um, because you never know what and where my day is going to take me into the night. Uh, I have become a huge fan of Garmin's mini inReach. It's a satellite transponder. Uh, it has an app on your phone, so you can actually text using a satellite. Um, so those three or four things, we haven't even talked about water or sort of the personal comfort stuff of cliff bars and, and snacks, but in, in terms of just 100% every time I go out, I'm going to have those things. I just named them. Yeah. And then, you know, we can break into, um, and again, we could we could talk for hours on gear for, for elk hunting on what's necessary, what's a comfort item, what's, you know, we could talk for hours. But obviously in your pack, you've got to have room for, you know, your food. So if it's a five-day, seven-day hunt, you got to have enough food for those days. Um, obviously those extra layers that we talked about stay in our pack. Um, your sleep system. So whether you run a, a tent or a, 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 um, a canopy style sleep system, uh, whatever it is you're running, your sleeping bag, um, a sleeping pad, all of those things, uh, would consider your sleep system. Uh, you got to move into like, like Andrew said, your water filtration system. Um, so a water bladder, um, something to purify and clean the water. Um, what do you use for a water system? Cause that's obviously, uh, essential. Um, so what do you use for a water system? 
I've got two different approaches. Um, I've got a platypus system. Uh, it's a it's a pretty good sized filter system. Um, I think I've got a three liter bag with it, which is big enough for kind of a base camp. But anytime, because I, I hunt in very dry country, when I find water, I load up. Um, so I have that, but I also have iodine tablets. And for me, no matter how silty or salty that water is, um, you know, the, those water purification tablets allow me to, uh, take care of any sort of, uh, organics in there. Um, anything from Giardia to, you know, little prototype or, uh, protocell organisms. Uh, and it makes it a little bit more palatable. So ideally I want to filter and then I want to, uh, basically purify the water with iodine. Now, when you move from water, um, I like to carry a, 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 a like a, a Nalgene bottle. Uh, but like you said, I also like, I mean, I have the water bladder, um, and I carry two water bladders. Uh, one to, uh, if you set up camp for the night, you can, you can get dirty water in one and do a hanging system to purify it into your other one overnight. Um, so therefore, you know, when you wake up the next morning, you have a full bladder full of clean water, ready to put in your pack, ready to go for the day. Um, and then those two are kind of transferable. Um, so, you know, one day obviously is they're going back and forth. Um, so that's, I, I carry two water bladders, um, a Nalgene bottle that I can just, you know, keep for, if I'm just sitting glassing, you know, drink out of, or if, you know, you have some, some supplements that you take, um, you know, for, uh, hydration or get up the mountain quicker, whatever it is, uh, you can put in the Nalgene bottle, shake it up, drink it. Um, so those are some things I carry. Coffee for me is a necessity. Um, and that's just for me. I mean, I understand that that's a comfort item for most, but for me, uh, I'm so dependent on caffeine that I just get terrible caffeine headaches. Um, so coffee is a necessity. Um, so, you know, you carry your, you carry your, your cooking system. Uh, I carry a camp chef cooking system with me. Um, and then I can just put some instant coffee in there and, uh, and I got coffee. Is it the best coffee? Absolutely not. Uh, but it's coffee in the morning. It's coffee in the evening when I'm sitting down, uh, at the end of the day. So coffee for me is a necessity. I always carry some Tylenol, uh, ibuprofen, um, you know, for any aches and pains you get throughout the day. Um, I like PM Tylenol. It helps me sleep better through the night. Um, what else would you say? I always keep a sharp knife, obviously. Um, Knives like Outdoor Edge are really good, especially when you're talking about such a big animal like an elk. Uh, you'll go through blades and you can just switch them out and keep going. Uh, so sharp knives are a necessity. Um, I like that the first thing you said was a kill kit, and here's why. Um, if you're not going to plan for success, why even go hunting? You know what I mean? Uh, why even be out there if you're not planning to fill those 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 uh, those bags? You know what I mean? So, uh, that is the first thing that goes in my pack is my kill kit. Um, what kind of bags do you use? What, what would you recommend? Oh man, I am a huge caribou, uh, bag guy. Um, so they've got a, uh, a carnivore, I think it's called. It's basically, there's, uh, I think within the one kit, you've got, uh, two or three quarter bags and then you've got some sort of camp meat bags, you know, maybe the trim meat, but they're, they're very, they're very strong. Um, it's a synthetic, basically a breathable synthetic bag. But what I love about them is they've got a drawstring that you could probably hang a, a short block or a small block engine off of the thing and they wouldn't uh, give. 
They're super strong um, and they're washable. They don't get too scenty, which is nice. So anyway, to me, that's worked really well. Now, one thing I'll say too, when it comes to necessary gear, there are hundreds of videos on YouTube um, of guys doing gear dumps where they empty out their packs and they show you everything they're carrying. I would just encourage you, if you're starting elk hunting, I would encourage you to digest as many of those as you can and to because you're going to see a common theme across every video that you watch. You'll see a common theme. Um, so, so look through all of those, figure out what's going to work for you. What's going to work for your budget. That's a big thing. What's going to work for your budget. Um, watch all of those and just digest them because me and Andrew, like I said, we could spend hours talking about gear for elk hunting. Um, so break into those videos and watch those. Um, now, Andrew, what do you, the pack itself, um, how big of a pack do you look for? And then is there any features in a pack that you would deem absolutely necessary? Well, again, this is going to depend a lot on your hunting style. Are you day hunting? Are you uh, basically packing a camp into the backcountry and then uh, spiking out from there? So depending on your answer, I've got a couple. I'll I'll give you two pack styles. Um, So for a big sort of freighter pack, you're going to take in your sleep system, like Dylan was talking about, food for a number of days. Uh, I want um, probably a big 6,400 cubic inch internal frame pack. I mean, big, you know, um, big and strong enough that I'm going to be able to not only uh, carry in my camp comfortably, but I'm going to be able to carry out an animal um, in a couple of trips. So I don't want to deal too much on that because that's going to, again, be, um, those are big, serious sort of uh, intentional packs. To me, the more interesting thing is what I do uh, those sort of convertible packs where I'm taking maybe enough gear for an overnight, um, but I can also hunt in it. And so for me, I actually have a new favorite. It's Mystery Ranch's pop-up pack. Um, so it's got, it's basically a day pack. It's got an internal frame though, that you can um, basically erect into a meat hauling frame pack. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. I think I've got the pop-up 32. Um, that is to me anyway to, to me it's probably the best in-between pack that there is it's not going to carry your entire camp in if you're do, doing a multi-day trip but it's definitely going to take all of the gear that you need for a long day of hunting as well as you know some kind of spartan stuff if you get caught out overnight uh, another really good one is, um, is called i can't remember the name of it but it's called from the outdoorsman in tucson arizona uh, and it's basically a great big day pack uh, that won't get in your way if you're a bow hunter so, um, if you are going on a multi-day hunt, say five days, seven days, uh, how big of a pack would you say somebody needs to look at for that? Oh man. Well, like I was saying, the 6,400 cubic inch is probably a starting point. You might be able to get away with a, a mid five liter pack, um, but all the way up to, you know, 7,000 cubic inches, uh, so I mean, these are these are big packs. Uh, don't don't get me wrong. You're not going to be able to uh, be comfortable if you're loading them to the hilt. So you need to kind of be thinking about. I, you know, one of the things I remember from my um, physics class in college is one of the definitions of a gas is it's a substance that will f- expand to fill the available space. I throw that out because 
I have all the properties of a gas when it comes to packing. I will fill up the capacity of any bag you give me. That's not always a good thing. Some of these really big freighter packs, I mean, you can load up so that they're very, they're uncomfortable, uncomfortably heavy. So just be kind of careful about that. Uh, to me, I'm never, I, I should not say never. If I'm going to be out for a five-day elk hunt, that is at the, that's a graduate level experience. I'm not going to do that as a beginner. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you there. Uh, my first backcountry experience, um, which made it a lot better because I was with other guys, um, and we kind of had a, a quote unquote base camp to go back to midway through the hunt. Uh, but my first backcountry experience was like an eight day hunt. So we were in for four days, come out for a night, went back in for four days. Um, and that was, it, it was a, like a shock factor. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I would definitely agree with you that, that those are more of, I wouldn't start with that. Um, I would definitely work up to that. Now, um, you mentioned wanting to talk about bow sights before we do that. I would say when you're talking necessary gear for elk hunting, um, you have to obviously have a weapon. So whether you're taking a rifle, whether you're taking a bow, a compound or recurve, um, you need to have the necessary gear for that weapon. So if you're taking a rifle, obviously you need a rifle scope, a good bipod is a good thing to have. Uh, ammunition. If you're taking a compound, obviously you need sights, rest, quiver, stabilizers, um, arrows, broadhead, you know, all those good things. Now I do think there are, like Andrew said, and specifically on both sites, I do believe there are, um, some specifics that we should talk about when it comes to both sites. So when you talk about your compound bow, what are some things that you are going to make sure your accessories are hitting um, or some features that your accessories are going to hit when you're talking about elk hunting? Man, well, um, let me start with two of the things that are off the bow that I think you need to be thinking about. One is a rangefinder. Um, you want to want a rangefinder that you can deploy easily with a single hand because your other hand is going to be occupied with your bow. Um, and the, to me, that rangefinder also ties back into our bow sights in just a second. But the other thing uh, off the bow is a binocular that you can also operate with one hand. So I'm the optics editor for Outdoor Life. I, I test dozens and dozens of binoculars every year. When it comes to archery hunting and especially um, elk hunting, I want uh, a, basically an 8 by 32 binocular. is the sweet spot for me when it comes to optics for elk hunting. And I really want an open bridge design, one that I can easily hand, handle with a single hand it's got uh, the focus wheel that's ergonomically um, positioned where I can easily uh, use it with just my finger. The reason that matters is, and a lot of times when you're in close quarters elk hunting, you are going to need to be able to define things in the middle distance. So not far out at infinity, not butterfly close, but that kind of middle distance from, let's say, 35 to 70 yards. And that fairly low magnification, eight power binocular with a nice open bridge design, it's going to really let you do that with a single hand. So those are a couple of things you might not think about, but I think you should be when it comes to the off-bow stuff. The reason I mentioned that rangefinder is there's a big debate going on right now among elk hunters about do you want a single pin sight or do you want a multi-pin sight? And I'm going to give you the argument for both of them. 
if you've got a buddy who is maybe doing the calling for you and you are the, the shooter with your bow or vice versa, you're doing the calling and your buddy is the shooter. A lot of times you can kind of define in a setup when you've got, um, you've got a, a bugling bull, he's responsive. You kind of can figure out where he's going to be in range and even where he may show up uh, coming through cover or timber. I range everything around me so that I know what each little um, landmark is in terms of its distance. This is a great argument to me, at least for a single pin sight. I can uh, basically set my sight where I think that elk is going to come out and then adjust based on where it really happens. But we're usually talking maybe, oh, four to six yard differentiation between where I expect an elk to show up and where it actually does. And I can make that um, adjustment based on a single pin site. I mentioned I hunt a lot in the Missouri River Breaks where it's big open country. I often don't know where an elk is going to show up or even if it's going to be in an uh, in interception where I'm spotting stalking it and it's not coming into a call. Or if it does come into a call, it might use um, open country terrain features to, to approach. So little open washes or ravines or even ridge lines. If that's the case, I really don't know if that elk is going to uh, encounter me at 15 yards or 60 yards. So in that case, I want a multi-pin setup where I can make a fairly quick and competent shot at a variety of different ranges. So that's why I wanted to talk about that site uh, option. If you are going to be hunting in pretty thick cover where you kind of can control the variables a little bit with an incoming elk, uh, I would probably go with a single pin site. If you're in open country terrain where you just really can't control those variables, think about a multi-pin. Now, I will take you one step further. What about a, a multi-pin slider? Tori, you have the best of both worlds. You bet. I'm actually just experiencing that this year, and I'll probably use it for mule deer hunting, um, where it is the best of both worlds. The concern I have with that a little bit is you've got to spend that preseason time absolutely getting it dialed. You know, there's a lot of vari variation and and kind of um, things that can go wrong with that, just as just as there are the things that can go right. But you know, when you start to throw in all those variabilities of a slider and multi-pin, just know your gear. Yeah, absolutely. I would say I've used a single-pin slider now for um, the better part of five years. And I've just absolutely fallen in love with, with I'm sorry, I've used multi-pin sliders for, for the better part of five years. And I've just fallen in love with them because if I'm sitting in a tree stand, uh, I use a three-pin slider. So if I'm sitting in a tree stand, I've got 20, 30, 40. Um, and then, you know, if I go out west, I can shoot out to 100. If, I, if I'm shooting at targets at home, I can shoot out to 100. And uh, in that bottom pin, and here's what I love. Trophy Ridge on their single or on their multi-pin slider, their bottom pin is a vertical pin, like on a single pin. And then your top two are your horizontal pins. Now, what I love about that is part of the beautiful part of a single pin is it helps you keep your sights level because you can see the vertical pin. Um, so what I love about Trophy Ridge's sights is I have the three pin slider, but that bottom pin is still vertical. Uh, so I can, I still have that leveling ability with the vertical pin. Um, so to me, uh, a multi pin slider is, is where it's at. But 
I would also say if you're a beginner, um, I wouldn't start with a multi-pin slider. Uh, I think they're the best sights in the world, but that's not what I'm going to put on my wife's bow. That's not what I'm going to put on my kid's first bow when they, when they start out. Uh, I'm going to pick a simple, easy-to-use three-pin or a simple-to-use, easy-understandable single-pin. Um, so I love multi-pin sliders, but I would not say that's what you should start with. Um, and, and again, we could talk for hours on sights, man, but um, – because I could, I could go into, you know, dovetails and, and actually I do want to talk about dovetails. I believe, uh, my favorite site is a three pin slider on a dovetail. Um, and the reason behind the dovetail, you know, a lot of guys want a dovetail so they can get it as far out from their bow as they can. Um, which is, which is good, but I like a dovetail because I can adjust it in and out to be exactly level and, and fit exactly in my peep sight, exactly how I want it to fit in my peep sight. Um, so I use a three pin slider on a dovetail. And, and to me, that's just, that's the best site for me. Uh, I'm not saying it's the best site for you. I'm not saying it's going to work well for you. That's the best site for me though. Um, and, and you can read, if you Google single pin versus multi pin, you could read all day long and watch videos all day long on people arguing them. And really either of them are going to work. Like Andrew said, there's benefits and downsides of both, um, but either of them are going to work. Uh, but for me, that three-pin slider is just where it's at, whether you're elk hunting, deer hunting, whatever. It's where it's at. It's the best in, of both worlds. Um, so I just think they are their money. Um, now, you talked a little bit about rangefinders and binoculars, um, and the last thing I want to hit on is necessary optics for the backcountry, uh, and, and I'm glad I'm talking to the optic guru, um, literally understands optics better than anybody, I would say. Uh, so before we dive into this section, I do have to, to give another thank you to our awesome friends over at Koa Optics. Um, they, in my opinion, make the best optics money can buy. Uh, I've used them now for about four years for my binoculars and my, and my spotting scopes. And they are just absolutely awesome. Great guys, uh, to deal with their warranties are awesome. Uh, but also I think their optics are just second to none. And, and maybe you can shed some light on them because again, you understand optics better than I do. Uh, I just basically went, went to a store and looked through several different options and that's what I picked. Um, but maybe you can shed a little bit of light on those. So what are some optics that you make sure and carry, um, you know, spotting scope, binoculars, range finder, uh, obviously a rifle scope if you're carrying a rifle. Uh, but what are some things you, and you've already told us exactly what you look for in binoculars. So what do you look for in a spotter and in a range finder? Well, um, you know, if it, depending also on my hunting, what's happening in terms of the specifics of the hunt. If I'm going to pack uh, a, a high magnification spotter, uh, it's probably going to be a, a medium compact version. So a 65 millimeter, um, just one word about how to size a spotting scope. The big boys that you see, the, the, the big full size spotters are typically 80 to 85 millimeter objective lenses. Those are big and they're heavy and there's, it's almost too much optical horsepower for what I'm going to need. So if I'm going to pack a spotting scope, it's probably going to be that 65 millimeter. They tend to be, uh, Pretty, quite a bit smaller than the big than the big boys. They're um, they fit nicely in the side sleeve of a backpack, and I can usually stabilize them using either a lightweight tripod or even just putting it down on my pack or the crotch of a tree. So, uh, to me, that's a really nice sort of in between spotting scope to use. 
but a lot of times I won't take a spotting scope. Instead, uh, for rifle hunting, I'll take a 12 power binocular that's got quite a bit of reach and, and uh, magnification, but it's not so big that I have to have a tripod. Uh, big 15 and 18 power binoculars are have so much magnification that any tremor in your hands or wind will really make the image hard to stabilize. Um, you know, so those are really best that are used that when they're used on a heavy tripod that can stabilize the image. Well, I'm not going to carry a heavy tripod when I'm elk hunting. So I want a binocular that has lots of magnification, but not so much that everything's shaky. Um, let's talk rifle sculpts real quick. Um, I am a fan of the simple uh, and light. I am a run and gun hunter. I don't want a great big ponderous rifle and I don't want a great big heavy rifle scope on that rifle. So for me, throw out the big precision scopes. Um, that's not what I'm going to use to hunt with. Instead, I want um, a rifle scope that weighs a pound or less. I'm actually going to give you a couple of different uh, options for that lightweight, I think, hard-wearing scope. Leupold's VX3 uh, to me is probably the, the cream of the crop when it comes to that uh, category of rifle scope. Maven's got their RS2, I believe it's called. It's a simple one-inch tube with the second focal plane. But here's the other thing I want. I do not want big, exposed, tactical-style turrets on a hunting rifle. I want capped turrets that are not going to get knocked off zero when I'm taking it in and out of my pack or if you're on a horseback hunt, in and out of a horse scabbard. Um, cap turrets typically just they wear a little bit harder and they um, have a little bit of that insurance policy that they're not going to move uh, when you don't want them to move. I want a pretty simple rifle sight. Um, a lot of times when I'm elk hunting, I'll have time to sit and adjust my turrets or use my holdover reticle. But sometimes things happen quick. You've got to make a snapshot. So uh, a pretty simple reticle, maybe a BDC style, which is uh, ballistic drop compensating. So basically, it's a holdover reticle. You can use the references in the reticle to hold over your target at known distances. To me, that's really all you need. Uh, I want it to be light, bright, and really durable. Yeah, and I'm, and again, I'm glad that I got to have this conversation with you because um, optics are something that uh, you have to you have to put a put a bit of time into understanding. Um, and so you you definitely have a much better understanding of optics than I do. Um, with a with a rangefinder, I will say that I really love um, a rangefinder, and you can tell me the exact name for this but uh, a rangefinder that tells you the actual distance uh, so if you're shooting uphill or downhill uh, it tells you the actual distance to shoot um, I really like a rangefinder that does that uh, what do you call that arc reading or something yeah it's actually it's an inclinometer is the actual term but it basically gives you the angle adjusted reading um, so that you're exactly right that's the 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 real distance rather than the um, line of sight distance, which can be pretty different if you're shooting at extreme angles. Yeah. And so when you talk elk hunting, I, I believe uh, that having that quality in a rangefinder is next to invaluable. Well, I think we've, we've kind of gear dumped just about everything you would need. Again, we could spend hours talking about what's necessary, what's a comfort, uh, what's some things we like to have. Um, but I would just encourage you, there's so much content out there. Outdoor life puts out some incredible content. Um, 
start Googling, start watching videos, start watching people uh, do their gear dump videos of what they carry with them on the mountain um, and get a good understanding of what you're going to need to head to the mountain. Andrew, before we go, what are your thoughts on Pope and Young, man? Um, on the record book, Pope and Young? Uh, on Pope and Young as an organization. Oh, awesome. I mean, to me, it's the sort of conscience of the bow hunting community. So Pope and Young is the organization that keeps basically the record books of fairly uh, fair chase archery uh, harvests and, and trophies. But they're more than that. They're also, as I mentioned, the kind of the conscience. It's, it's uh, if you're not a member, uh, it's one I would certainly consider, especially as you're trying to learn more and get an idea of really the heritage of archery hunting. Absolutely, man. Uh, Pope and Young from the beginning has had one goal and that's to preserve, protect and promote our passion for bow hunting. Um, and, and you know, kind of their vision they want to cast as being the voice of today's bow hunter. Um, and so I thank them so much for their support of the show. Um, and if you're not a member of Pope and Young, like Andrew said, I would highly recommend you, uh, to go and check out becoming a member because, uh, they do work to create new opportunities for us as bow hunters. Um, and like Andrew said, that that's a beautiful way to put it. They are the conscience of us as bow hunters. And so go check out Pope and Young. Those guys are awesome. Uh, Andrew, thank you so much, man, for joining us today. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. It's always a pleasure to have you shed some light um, on some things. And so I appreciate it, man. And I hope you have a wonderful season this year. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys will have a great week and go out and start testing some gear, getting ready, uh, because elk season is upon us. So if you're planning on going elk hunting, uh, good luck this fall. Thanks for listening. You guys have a great week. <laughs>